This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey y'all, it's Crystal. And it's Samantha. And this is Serial Holic Sisters. True crime shit. it was such a nice day today that i started my garden (laughs) oh my god (laughs) yes it was a nice day i started i started mine the other day yeah i definitely started mine later than i typically do i'm i'm really hoping that it turns out this year because i had started it later than usual but i just had to be i just had to tell you the exciting news about it (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even done with it in fact um I didn't plant any vegetables all I did was get my soil ready yeah well that's not starting your garden I thought you like planted it no (laughs) like I you're a liar (laughs) yeah I didn't start start it you like I started but I didn't really I started but I didn't so um on our last episode everyone heard that we finally launched our patreon well, um, we still got so many shout outs to, to do, but, yeah, uh, that's, that's part of, that's one of your goodies. If you sign up, you get a shout out. Cause I know, I know. Um, so this week we're just gonna, we're gonna throw a shout out to Chris. So, um, thanks for, you know, being a serialholic. <laughs> Thank you. You're the best. We, we heart you. We heart you. We heart all of our serialholics. We do. We're so excited. We're actually, um, for those that are already following our Patreon. It's like, where are you going? <laughs> um, it's a long pause. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to think of how I wanted to word that. Um, but those are that are following our Patreon already and, and are um, subscribed and everything. Um, we're launching that exclusive um, episode next week. Oh. So so the, yeah there you go so if you want a bonus episode check out our patreon um only for those patreon followers patreon.com slash serialholics or you can go to our website and find it yes. so yeah you ready girl are you I'm ready? So ready i'm excited <laughs> oh okay it's my turn <laughs> i always get excited over your turn because you always have some like cases that i don't really hear of so i'm, I'm oh. well I'm, I'm sure you've heard of this okay um so i decided this guy he was this is a pretty well-known one i think throughout like the true crime following or whatever okay but it's still like every time i hear it it just like blows my mind because it's like insane um this is a guy that was arrested after being recognized on the tv show america's most wanted um so do you know <laughs> I think. so I this know. week i'm covering john list okay so this is a good this is a good one a good one yeah i was excited to do it. i'd put it on my list a while back and i was like oh i'm gonna do it you know what i actually 
I never put it on mine. I did. So I never you. did. <laughs> so look at you. <laughs> look at me go. Look at you go. All right. I don't know why I didn't even think of him. I don't this either. Is a well -known one. It's pretty well known. Yeah. So <laughs> let's see. Let's get into it. Um, John Emil List was born September 17th, 1925 in Bay City, Michigan. He was the only child to a very strict, like very strict German parents. It was John Frederick List and his mother was Alma Barbara Florence List. There was like a lot of names in there. That's a lot of names. And so, yeah. <laughs> so he, I didn't see a ton on like his early childhood. Um, I did see like there's a few accounts that said that his mother was particularly overbearing like she was really super overprotective, which like same girl, but she took I mean, it a little, a little far. <laughs> so helicopter mom times 10. <laughs> right. So she wouldn't let him go outside and play with other kids because if he did, then he might get sick. So he couldn't oh, do that. Yeah. Like okay. <laughs> for a helicopter mom times 10. Um, instead of playing with other kiddos, he'd they always... Might do it makes me think of the bubble boy right <laughs> I'm sorry. exactly that's literally what it makes me think of like i'm just thinking of this child that's oh no no honey you can't go out there put your bubble on first <laughs> there was literally when i worked at the pediatric clinic there was this mother that was so always remind me of the bubble boy she brought her kid in and he was in his stroller but the stroller had like this clear plastic bubble thing over it that like zipped and unzipped to get him in and out and she oh, like okay. didn't want to take him out of it to like weigh him or for the doctor to like look in his mouth or ears or anything i was like what do you think we're gonna do like how are we gonna check him out if we can't check him out <laughs> yeah yeah she outgrew that luckily she, she had a second kid and, and was more normal with that one <laughs> like oh it's okay he eats the stale french fries off of the bar floor right, right. <laughs> so instead of like going out to play with the other kiddos he would always stay home and read the bible with his mother so they would just like stay home and do that oh yes. so it's like um stephen king's carrie <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> right so, so um, many references. <laughs> we're, we're barely in it, and there's all the references. The list goes on. My mind just wanders in all these weird places. It does. So, his relationship with his father was described as very cold, loveless, and religiously strict. So, that's not fun. Um, and when List grew up, he was often described the same way as his father. So, he was very, Aww. like, very strict, very, like, well put together not very loving um he didn't have what we would call the social skills <laughs> so oh, he was he was socially awkward yeah he, he came off as very very cold um but he was a very well put together very neat man um just not he was he was socially awkward um it was said we'll that he that. <laughs> <laughs> it's hi i'm awkward um it was said that he even mowed his lawn wearing a suit and tie. Like that's how neat and put together he was. <laughs> do you remember, do you remember our neighbor that mowed his lawn in the rain? Yes. He did it all the time. <laughs> and we're like, what is happening? Is he high right now? Like what is going on? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> he was not wearing a suit and tie. <laughs> he was not. I also recall him watering his lawn in the rain once. Too. Yeah. He was a little off. We didn't go around him. Okay, um, <laughs> so see somebody in a suit and tie mowing his lawn or watering their lawn in the rain. 
they may be a serial killer just kind of stay clear you know um (laughs) so let's see he enlisted into the army in 1943 and he served as a lab technician in world war ii and then was discharged in 1946 uh he then enrolled at the university of michigan in ann arbor where he earned a bachelor's degree in business administrating and a master's degree in accounting so he was doing some big things um Meanwhile, the Korean War was escalating, and so, like, right after he turned 25 in November of 1950, he was called back into active duty. He was at Fort Eustis in Virginia, and there he met a woman named Helen Morris Taylor. She was the widow of an infantry officer that had been killed in action in Korea, and she, like, lived close to where he was stationed with her young daughter, Brenda. So they kind of get to know each other. They grew closer. And by December of 1951, they were married and moved to Northern California. And their list served as an accountant for the Army. Okay. So he was using his degree in the Army. Um, he completed his second tour in 1952. And over the next few years, he went through quite a few accounting jobs. Um, and he was, like, moving the family all around the country. So for a while, he worked at an accounting firm in Detroit, and then he moved the family to Kalamazoo, Michigan. It's, that's, that's a fun a, one to that's say. A place? <laughs> that is a place. <laughs> All right. Um, it's always like a made-up name. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> just off to Kalamazoo. Um, so they moved there, and that's uh, he worked as an audit supervisor at a paper company. And they stayed there for a while. And during that time, he and Helen ended up having three children. Pretty, oh, clo- okay. pretty close together. So, like, Pat- Patricia was born in 1955. John Jr. was born in 1956. And then the youngest, Frederick, was born in 1958. So they had them pretty oh. all close together. Okay. Um, by 1959, List had worked his way up to general supervisor of the company's accounting department. So he's moving on up. Um, meanwhile, Helen's daughter from her previous marriage, Brenda... She had grown up and moved out and gotten married. So she was like off on her own now. Um, List got a job. He was offered a job in Rochester, New York at Xerox company at like the main one, I guess. Oh, okay. So he like took, took that job and moved his whole family once again to New York. Um, There he eventually became director of accounting services. So he moved his family for the last time when he was offered a job in 1965 as uh, the vice president of a bank in Jersey City, New Jersey. So that's a pretty big job, I would think, vice president of the bank. They seemed to be doing so well that List was able to move his family, including his 84-year-old mother, Alma, into Breeze Knoll on Hillside Avenue in Westfield. So Breeze Knoll, what is Breeze Knoll, you ask? (laughs) I love it when you ask me these questions, you know, you do it so often. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I was getting to that. <laughs> no. So Breeze Knoll was, was the name. I was to say, was Breeze Knoll like some big, like, richy neighborhood or something? So kind of, but no, not a, kind of, but not at all. No. So Breeze Knoll was oh, the name no. of the house that they moved into. Oh, okay. And it had this name because it was like a ginormous 19 room victorious victorian mansion oh yeah so it was it had its own name i was gonna say they named their house but no and i mean i name all of my inanimate objects but that's just me no (laughs) 
I mean, yeah, that is just, I mean, I don't. <laughs> I mean, my car is Ruby. I name everybody else's car. Like it's, it's, it's a thing. It's a problem. No. Yeah. I don't, I don't have a name. <laughs> Maybe piece of shit. Oh, <laughs> no. Mine's Ruby. So, yeah. So he was able to move his family into this like giant ass mansion, complete with the ballroom and everything, like this huge ass mansion. Um, they found a church and they began attending every Sunday. And Liz became a Sunday school teacher there. So from the outside looking in, they seem like the perfect family that Liz had always like envisioned he'd have one day. Mm-hmm. So now I'm going to tell you what was actually going on. <laughs> So, <laughs> you made him sound so great. <laughs> I did. He's not. So, <laughs> so all those awesome jobs that he had that I was telling you about, he like worked his way up to the top and like rose up. So it turns out that he was actually lying to his family about those jobs. He did get those jobs, but he was actually fired from all of them due to like his cold demeanor and his inability to be social with like his coworkers. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, co-workers said that he seemed disinterested in talking to anyone, including his supervisors and his severe lack of social skills cost him like job after job. Like he just kept getting fired. Um, one former co- colleague described him as an extremely cold individual and just altogether unlikable. So that's not nice. Um, <laughs> so he was really getting fired. And instead of telling his family that he was losing this job, he would just like up and move everybody to go find a different job in a different city he and helen were also having like a ton of problems so helen was she was dealing with quite a few things in her life um she had like for one brenda like grew up and moved out and so she was having problems with that that was her first baby she began drinking quite a bit and that caused tons of fights between her and list like i mentioned before he was like a deeply religious man so he was against yeah. her drinking and all that it was reported, I saw this in a couple of reports, that she drank four or five glasses of scotch a day. So I read that and I was like, oh shit. He would have like thrown holy water on me if he saw me drinking <laughs> on one of my drinking nights. <laughs> but okay. <laughs> Helen's health began to deteriorate and like nobody knew why. What were Maybe you going to say something? Drinking? <laughs> Maybe all the drinking. Well, it was a combination. Your liver's failing. <laughs> there was another, right. There was another reason besides Brenda leaving that she was drinking so much. So, um, talking about her health deteriorating, she started like losing her eyesight and her mental health was like steadily deteriorating. After several doctor's appointments, the reason for Helen's health issues was finally discovered and she had actually known about it all along, but she was hiding it. So after a blood test, it was determined that she was suffering from untreated syphilis yeah um apparently she knew that she had contracted it from her first husband the one that died in korea before and she hid it from her doctors and list for 18 years what yeah so she's like trying to hide this and that was another reason that she was drinking so heavily so she was just right <laughs> your face <laughs> she had untreated something that could literally be treated and be fine so because it's not infectious in its later phases this um she didn't pass it on to list or like any of her children when they were born so she was just hiding it for all these years and when he found out about it he was not a happy camper oh my god so they're having problems with that um 
He was also having some internal struggles regarding his daughter, Patricia. So she's 16 now. She's got a ton of friends. She's like super well-liked and popular and she's starting to have a pretty active social life. Um, to top it all off, because that's just terrible, you know, we can't have that. But to yeah. top it all off, she started taking a drama workshop class because she wants to be an actress. And that was just straight up blasphemous to him. Oh, yeah. Acting is like Satan's work. Like, that's not, mm -hmm. that's not okay. So he's like struggling. He's like, I don't know where I went wrong with her. This is not what's supposed to happen. So he's got that going on that he's dealing with. So now my we're going to. has syphilis. My daughter's. <laughs> she's just sinning. She's just a whore <laughs> sinning and acting everywhere. Like, what the hell? She's a whore for acting. <laughs> <laughs> She's not really. <laughs> no, she's she wasn't. So now we're gonna get into his um the financial aspect of his struggles because you know he's losing all these jobs. I bought a mansion, but <laughs> bought well, a I'm big ass fucking mansion. Getting fired, <laughs> right? So I talked a little bit about how he kept getting fired or whatever, hiding it from his family. Um, now he has this great job as the vice president of a bank, which he really did get. They live in this huge ass mansion. But bad news for List, he lost his job again. So he loses the vice president bank job. Um, this time's a little different than before because now he has this huge ass mortgage to pay off. Mm -hmm. And like family doesn't want to, I'm sure they don't want to move again. They don't seem to want to move again. It's, um, it's just going to be a hassle for him to start a new job in another city. But he doesn't want to tell his family that he's lost his job. So he just doesn't. He just doesn't tell them at all. So instead of telling them, he gets up every day and gets ready and puts on his businessman suit and sends his kids to school and leaves for work. But there's no work. He has no work to go to. So he spends every day sitting at the train station, reading books and newspapers until it's time for him to be off work and go back home. Every day. So he's the only one making an income. This is true. Yes. So he started skimming some money from his mother's bank account to help pay some of the bills, but he knew he couldn't do that forever. Like he'd have to come up with another solution. Yeah. He also urged his kids to get after school jobs. So he was like telling them they needed the experience to build character and like learn responsibilities and whatever, but he was really just trying to get some, some kind of income coming in. Um, but again, he knew that wasn't going to be the solution he needed because you can't afford to live in a 19-room mansion on minimum wage on after part, school job. <laughs> right, job. right. Not going to happen. So now I'm going to tell you about the horrifying solution list came up for yeah. all of his problems. Yeah. yeah. So November 9th, 1971, started like any other day at Breeze Knoll. The kids got up and had breakfast and they're off to school. List went out to his car where he had a nine millimeter semi-automatic handgun and a Colt 22 revolver that he had taken to a shooting range not long before. So he had it in his car. So he loaded both the guns and went back inside the house and he found his wife, Helen, sitting at the kitchen table drinking coffee. He walked up behind her and without saying a word, he shot her in the back of the head. So he then went upstairs to his mother's wing, like apartment type thing that she had upstairs. Um, and he found her eating her breakfast. He walked up to her, kissed her on the cheek, and then shot her above her left eye. Yeah. 
then he went out to he run a few errands. Crazy. He's he fucking he snapped. Yeah. So then he decided he was gonna go run a few errands. Because that's what you do after you murdered two people. I don't know. Apparently um, so. He went to the post office and he told them to hold all their mail until further notice. Um, then he went to the bank where he emptied and closed out his and his mother's bank accounts. That's not suspicious, but okay. I mean, yeah, <laughs> he did it all wrong. <laughs> well, apparently not. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you, let me tell you. So, I mean, he did, but yeah, he went back home and then he made several phone calls. So he called a woman named Barbara Bader. So she drove a carpool that his sons took to get to school every morning. Um, he let her know that they would be leaving the next morning to visit Helen's sick mother for a few weeks. And he wasn't sure when they'd be back, but he'd let her know when they were back in town so they could start riding the carpool again. Then he called the kids' schools and he told them the same story. He even called to stop their will their weekly milk delivery until further notice because people still got milk delivered back then <laughs> so he's like thinking of everything calling to cancel and everything um after making these phone calls he realized he couldn't leave helen's body at the kitchen table or the kids would see her when they got home and like freak the fuck out so he put her body onto a sleeping bag and used that to drag her into the ballroom and then he began scrubbing all the blood from the kitchen because it's like everywhere because so he's scrubbing he's cleaning the kitchen when he finished um he realized he had worked up an appetite from cleaning up the crime scene oh my god <laughs> so he made himself lunch and sat at the same table where he just killed his wife earlier that morning and ate his lunch how fucked up is that like yeah yeah I mean, he's definitely fucking crazy <laughs> yeah just a little bit so now it's a little afternoon and list got a phone call it was his daughter patricia she was calling from school to say that she wasn't feeling well and she wanted to know if somebody could come pick her up early so sadly this worked out perfectly for list because now she and frederick wouldn't be getting home at the same time so that would make like what he was planning a lot easier on him which is like crazy fucked up that is crazy. everything's fucked so up. fucked up so he goes, he picks up Patricia. As soon as they get home, like as soon as she walks in the door, he shoots her in the back of the head. <gasps> yeah. Like as soon as they get home. I didn't realize it happened then. Yeah. Yeah. So because he said later that he came up behind them all and shot him in the back of the head so that they wouldn't see what was coming. But like, ugh. Anyways. How are you okay with shooting your own children and wife and mother? Right? I mean, I knew he did it because I know, like, what right. happened. But I, it just, it, I can never understand this case. It's freaking mind-boggling. Like, it I is so crazy. So, yes. I insane. also didn't realize that he did it right then. Like, yeah. That's, that's nuts. Yep. Because, I mean, Frederick was going to be home soon. Yeah. So he had to. So now he didn't have to do them both at the same time. Right. Because how was he? How would he be able to sneak up behind each of them and shoot him in the he, back of the head without the yeah. other one knowing? He was gonna have one of them freaking out. Mm-hmm. So um, he then put her body onto a sleeping bag and and moved her into the ballroom beside her mother's body. And then Frederick was the next to arrive home, and just like with Patricia, almost as soon as she as soon as he enters the front door, Liz shoots him in the back of the head. 
puts him on a sleeping bag and moves his body to the ballroom. How many motherfucking sleeping bags? That's they what got? I was just about to say. I was about to say, I know <laughs> this is not important to the story, but why do they have so many sleeping bags? <laughs> I mean, I guess for camping, they have one for everybody in the family. I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. That just seems like a lot of sleeping bags. Right? And I was, I, I don't know. I was like, why specifically sleep, sleeping bag? Like not a comforter or a sheet? Like it has yeah, to be a sleeping bag. Why, why is it a sleeping bag? Are you zipping them up in there? I think I, I actually did see some terrifying pictures of the crime scene. And um, they were partly in the sleeping bag zipped up, but not all the way, like at all. Like it was halfway zipped, if that. Now all that's left of his family is his namesake, John Jr. So it was always said that John Jr. was his favorite of all his children. It's like, dude, you're not supposed to do that. He's but what the else? too, isn't he? He was the oldest boy. Oh, was he the oldest boy? Yeah. Okay. So it was Patricia, then John Jr., then Frederick. Okay. Frederick was the youngest. Um. So John Jr. had a soccer game that afternoon after school. And this is super fucked up. Liz drove to the game, watched his son play in his soccer game. And then drove him home afterwards. And then when they got home, um, John Jr. walked inside with Liz behind him. He pulled his gun to shoot him in the same way that he'd done before. But according to misfire evidence, there was a struggle and John Jr. had tried to defend himself against his father. So sadly, he got the worst of it. Um, Liz ended up unloading both of his guns into John Jr.'s body. He shot him multiple times in the face and chest. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, it's, it's bad. After, Where are the neighbors at? Right? Like, because Where I are the neighbors at? Because that's a lot of gunshots in one day. But also, it's this huge-ass freaking 19-room mansion. It doesn't matter. You can hear that. Yeah. You can absolutely hear that. Maybe the houses were super spaced out since they were, like, so big. Maybe they... I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I would think you'd hear it. Um, Because... There, there was no silent. He did not put silencers on these guns. It, he just like shot them. He did. Like right in the doorway. <laughs> Basically, like as soon as they got inside. So um, after he placed his body on a sleeping bag, we know the drill, and then dragged him into the ballroom to rest beside his mother and siblings' bodies. So now he has murdered his entire family. He's made phone calls. He's told people they, they're going to be out of town for weeks. Um, he's closed out bank accounts. But he's not done yet. So he sits down in his study and he began writing a five-page confession letter to his pastor. So in this letter, List explained his financial problems and how he saw too much evil in the world. The 1970s were a sinful place and his children were already succumbing to temptation, especially his daughter, since she wanted to be an actress. And that was linked directly to Satan, you know. So <laughs> he felt like this is so crazy. He felt like he was saving his family's souls. He said, at least I'm certain that they have all gone to heaven now. If things had gone on, who knows what would be the case. So, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he, he, he sent them to heaven. No, honey. He said that he prayed over each of their bodies and renounced their faith, thus ensuring their spots in heaven. Oh, is that how that works? Apparently. <laughs> So the last line of that letter shocked everyone when it was read out loud in court later at his trial. Spoiler alert, there's a trial later. 
So, yeah. Um, <laughs> so the last line said, quote, P.S. Mother is in the hallway in the attic third floor. She was too heavy to move. Right. <laughs> That's the face you could you should be making because like, damn, what the hell? <laughs> oh, no, he did not. <laughs> he did. So he had attempted to move her downstairs with everyone else, but apparently he couldn't. And he just left her upstairs. That herself. is awful. Yes. Yeah. So he wrote four letters to relatives um, to let them know what happened also. So he had this five page letter to his pastor. And then he like sent off a few letters to relatives. Like he actually wrote them letters? Yes. Yes. I didn't know he sent them I don't think letters. he sent them. I, th- I think he left them in his study. Okay. I was going to say, I knew... I thought I knew, I remember him like writing a bunch of them, but I mm-hmm. don't know that he ever mailed anything. No, I think he left them all sitting in his study. Okay. <laughs> Hang on. Let's talk for a second while I drink out of my giant coffee cup. <laughs> it's literally the size of my head. <laughs> Are you drinking coffee? I am. At 10? 10, 10.30. Yes, because I need to stay awake and I couldn't stop yawning earlier. <laughs> Oh, girl, you gonna stay awake now. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I gotta edit this when I'm done anyways. It's fine. <laughs> okay, where was I? Letters to relatives. Do-do-do. Okay, so after finishing his letters, List began cleaning the house, like meticulously cleaning it. Um, he then cut himself out of every family photo in the house and destroyed every picture of him so he wouldn't be easily recognized by police okay yeah he just like cut himself out of everything he was like no they can't know exactly what i look like so after that he sat down nobody knows him right because nobody knows him i mean but hardly anybody knew him because you know he moved around so much only people that worked with him knew him that's true or people that saw him at the train station every day (laughs) i mean all they have to do is find out who they are and they know that they're married to somebody and ask around right find his last place of work sure they've got something with him (laughs) maybe i mean it was the 70s the early 70s Mm -hmm. um so after that he sat down to eat dinner by himself around six that evening then he washed his dinner dishes and left them in the drainer to dry because you know gotta be super clean he then made another phone call to barbara sheridan So she was one of the adults that worked with Patricia at the Westfield Recreation Commission's drama workshop. He told her the same story about how they were leaving town for a few weeks. So Patricia would be missing some of her rehearsals. Mm -hmm. And then he fed his children's pet fish and went upstairs and went to bed. How fucking weird is that? How do you just go to bed with all the dead bodies in your house? How do you do anything that you did? Like, you don't do any of this. Like, Oh, I know. But I mean, like... That one, that that just bores me. Feeds oh, the pet okay, fish. Well, I'm tired. I I think I'm just gonna feed the fish and I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna the hit the head. Dead bodies in the ballroom and the and my mother's dead body <laughs> on this floor. upstairs because I couldn't move her. Um, and just go take a little nappy nap. <laughs> just turn in for the night. So the next morning, List woke up and he turned the thermostat way down in the house. To like the cold like think yes like think how dallas tries to like freeze you out and then he ends up just freezing like the whole ac unit like that's how low <laughs> so. yeah he does that a lot like yeah. right now <laughs> <laughs> like right this second i'm wearing long sleeves right now same girl like i'm under a comforter <laughs> <laughs> so 
he turns it down the ac way down he turned on some classical music on this recorder that would just continue to play the music on a loop until someone like physically turns it off oh yeah no that's fucked up too okay really that's really creepy (laughs) so creepy and then he turned on every light in the entire house and left every single light which that sounds like a hell of a utility bill for someone who already has financial problems but (laughs) (laughs) but whatever he didn't care like you still gotta pay that bro (laughs) (laughs) well Liz didn't care because he would never return to the house ever again so Remember, the murders happened on November 9th. Mm -hmm. The bodies of the List family wouldn't be discovered until December 7th, so 29 days after the murders took place. Because he had, like, made all those phone calls and told everybody they were leaving, so nobody was suspicious. But for a month? (laughs) For a month, yeah. So, at first, neighbors didn't give a second thought to the house because at night, they could see the lights on inside. I don't think he, like, specifically told neighbors that they were leaving or whatever um after a while they're like wait a minute we haven't seen anyone come home or leave like in a hot minute like and then all the lights started slowly going out one by one as the bulbs just eventually like blew out yeah it's also creepy yeah meanwhile there's classical music playing on <laughs> so let's see neighbors starts they started getting concerned when the lights started just like going out slowly one by one um and they weren't the only ones getting concerned so Patricia's drama director, Edwin Iliano, he was beginning to think that it was very odd that the family had been gone for so long without any word at all of when they'd be coming back. Like they had called and said they were leaving, but they hadn't heard from them at all. Mm-hmm. So he convinced Barbara Sheridan to go with him to the house to check things out. So they get to the house and they're like kind of walking around outside, like around the house. And some neighbors just see these random people walking outside. So they called the police because they're like, we got some robbers or something what's happening yeah um so police get there and Ileano and Sheridan tell them what they're doing and like how they're concerned and the neighbors were like yeah we haven't seen any activity at the house like at all but we've noticed the lights on at night so police are like okay this is all weird like none of this sounds right kind of off you know so they decided they were going to check it out so they entered the home through a window leading to the basement and they heard the classical music playing from upstairs. So creepy. Uh-huh. So some of those officers later said that going in and hearing that was so creepy. It was like a real life scene from a horror movie. Um, except that it was real life. And it really did turn out to be like a horror movie. So it didn't take them long to discover the bodies of the List family once they were in. They also found the letter List had written to his pastor sitting on his desk. So you'd think that's like super helpful. He's literally confessing like, I did this. So, cause all they had to do, they just had to figure out before, before they're like, oh, we're going to have to figure out who did this. But then they found this letter and like, okay, that's super convenient. Now we just got to catch him. Well, that wouldn't happen for a while. So List wouldn't be caught until June 1st, 1989, 18 years after the murders took place. So for 18 years, there seemed to be no trace of him anywhere. It was like he just vanished. Um, Every time there was a possible sighting or any kind of lead, police would follow it and always came up empty handed. So after. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's why earlier you were like. Have you ever watched The Blacklist? I, I watched the first 
I want to say the whole first season probably, but then I, I, oh, I stopped I watching it. But it makes me think of that because like Raymond Reddington, he's, he's the guy that's on the blacklist, yeah. like the character. And he was America's most wanted um, criminal. Yeah. So, and it's so interesting. He wasn't like, well, I mean, he technically did kill people, but the people he killed were all bad people. Like he wasn't bad. Well, he killed people. people. (laughs) But he killed like bad people. He didn't kill people that were like good people. So he was Dexter. Yeah, except everyone knew it was him. (laughs) (laughs) After his arrest, police discovered that after leaving the house, List took a train from New Jersey to Michigan and then to Colorado. So he ended up in, he said, settled in Denver in early 1972. And he started going by the name Robert Peter Clark, or just Bob for short. Okay. So Bob Clark turned out to be the name of one of his classmates in college when he went to college. Right. And just stealing the identity of another person. Right. Well, and this, this Bob Clark was like, he said that he never really knew John List. Like they weren't friends or anything. Like he knew of him because they were like had some of the same classes but like they never really talked he is so he just like decided oh i'm gonna use his name like what the hell (laughs) um but also that's when you think of it that's like super smart because nobody's going to connect somebody that you had no contact with ever really Uh, the guy was really smart though i mean like super super annoying he did super stupid things but he was very smart super awful horrendous things well yeah so He's in Denver. He's going by Bob Clark. He finds himself an accounting job because that's what he knows how to do. So from 1979 to 1986, he worked as an accountant at a paper box manufacturer. He joined a Lutheran congregation and he even ran a carpool for church members who didn't have transportation to and from church. Oh, well, isn't he just so sweet? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> there he met a widow named Dolores Miller. And they got married in 1985. So he's just starting this whole can new you, freaking life. Do you just, can you imagine what Dolores felt like when Poor she Poor Dolores. Like, really, when, though. When she found out, hey, you're technically not divorced. You killed your wife and your family. Yes. Like, can you imagine being Dolores or, like, working with oh, him? Also, I'm married to a man that that's not even the man. <laughs> No, that's not the man. Except that's not your name. That's not your name. And how long before you did the same thing to me? Oh my God, it is the blacklist. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) She was married to a man that was not technically. (laughs) That's where they got it. I'm telling you. Case solved. (laughs) Oh, that that was the case solved. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So. So yeah, 18 years. He's just out there living a normal life under a new name, lying to everybody that he's met. So he's in Virginia, living his best life, whatever. Meanwhile, forensic artist Frank Bender has been busy making an age-progressed sculpture of what John List probably looks like at the age of 65, because that's how old he would have been then. So he's just like working on this sculpture of what he thinks he looks like. In May of 1989, Fox Fox was broadcasting this new show. You may have heard of it. <laughs> it's called America's Most Wanted. Yes. <laughs> so I don't know if you've heard of it. 
So they covered what they called the New Jersey mass murders of Liszt's family, and they included the sculpture that Frank Bender had made. So it was only a short eight-minute segment of the show, but luckily that's all it took. A week after the show aired, police received a phone call from one of Bob Clark's former neighbors in Denver. Not the real Bob Clark. <laughs> um, so police tracked him down, and List was arrested at the accounting firm that he was working at in Richmond, Virginia. He was like, what's happening? Why are you arresting me? <laughs> and they're like, um, because you're John List and you murdered your entire family. And he was like, no, I'm not. I'm Bob Clark. <laughs> and they were like, what? So for months after his arrest, he was like, y'all, I'm Bob Clark. And they're like, no, you aren't. <laughs> you are not Bob Clark. And then Bob Clark walks in and he's like, I'm Bob Clark. <laughs> Even after he was like extradited to New Jersey, he still wouldn't admit that he was John List. Eventually, they were like, dude, your fingerprints match John List's military records. We know you're him. And he was like, okay, you got me. I'm John List. <laughs> like, that's when he finally Lord, was like, he was like, got you got me. Look at you. So a court-appointed psychiatrist testified that List suffered from obsessive compulsive personality disorder and that he saw only two possible solutions to his situation. He could either go on welfare or he could kill his entire family and send their souls to heaven. <laughs> so obviously welfare was unacceptable. That would expose him and his family would be ridiculed. That, that's what he thought. So also that would go against everything that his father had taught him about like taking care of and providing for your family. So he could not do that. So he could only go with option two. That was the only logical solution. Yeah. Cause that's so logical. Yes. So the judge was like, no, that's dumb. And List was sentenced to five life sentences to be served consecutively, one for each family member that he murdered. This was the maximum penalty that could be allowed at that time. So in a three-sentence statement to the court, List said that he was, quote, sorry for the tragedy that happened in 1971. He didn't mention his wife, his mother, or his children. He just said, I'm sorry for the tragedy that happened. He didn't even, like, acknowledge that it was, like, he caused it. <laughs> so he filed an appeal on his convictions on the grounds that his judgment had been impaired by PTSD due to his military service. Oh, which, really? Like, exactly. How really? fucking dare you? <laughs> That's a I'm terrible... Try that when you, like, le legit changed your name. You stole somebody else's name and identity. Right. Also, no. <laughs> that is a terrible, like... It's a terrible claim to make. There's PTSD is like a very real awful thing. And I'm pretty sure that he didn't have it from his accounting job in the military. Oh, like, how dare so. you <laughs> try to use that as an excuse to murder your entire family? No, mm -hmm. sir. He also argued that the letter that he'd left behind at the crime scene that like served as his confession was a confidential communication to his pastor and therefore it should be inadmissible as evidence. <laughs> well, you didn't even give it to your pastor. <laughs> no, you just like left it on your fucking desk <laughs> and no, dipped honey. out. <laughs> Pastor's like, uh, bro, I don't know nothing about it. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't nothing confidential about this. <laughs> you abomination, you. <laughs> so a federal appeals court rejected both of these arguments. They were like, no, that's dumb. List later expressed slight remorse saying, I wish I had never done what I did. And he's prayed for forgiveness ever since. He was once asked in an interview why he didn't commit suicide. 
after he murdered his entire family. And he said, because that would have been a terrible sin and he would never have been allowed to go into heaven with his family if he had done that. So he thought that when his time did come, he would be reunited with his family and they would all live happily ever after together in heaven. That's what he thought. Like you murder them and then you're just going to go to heaven. No, sir. Um, March 28th, 2008, at the age of 82, List died while in prison of complications from pneumonia. So I am going to end this with a crazy ass fact. Okay. On August 20th, 1972, so 10 months after the murders, Breeze Knoll was destroyed by a fire. So the fire was ruled as arson, and to this day, there are no suspects, like nobody knows who started the fire. But what was discovered was that the stained glass skylight that was in the ballroom of the house had actually been assigned Tiffany original. And so it had been worth $100,000 at the time, mm-hmm. which would be equivalent to over like $600,000 now. So that would have been way than more, way more than enough money to solve all of his like financial problems. <laughs> so that was just like in I'm his sorry. house the entire time like how crazy (laughs) that's insane and it just burned in a fire and that is that yeah yeah that is what happens to scumbags (laughs) literal scumbags like in cases that's it's so crazy like you don't know it makes you like I feel like I can never trust anybody ever now because I'm like, ever. are you are you gonna just like shoot me in the back of the head with that? Like, why? God, now I'm gonna be looking every. Be like, <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome for that because that's that's what Anytime I'm doing. Now. Anybody wants to walk behind me, I'm gonna be like, nah. <laughs> no, no, you you stand beside me. Yeah, I'm gonna need you to get up front. <laughs> <laughs> well then, well, what if they don't trust you because they heard this? <laughs> no. <laughs> mean take it with a grain of salt so yeah that's the crazy ass it is crazy i mean i knew this i definitely knew the case it's right. so funny too because thinking about it it's not funny i shouldn't say funny it's not funny funny is a terrible word. It's, it's, not funny. it's um it is crazy like because the show the blacklist really does remind oh, me of that. <laughs> you're going back to blacklist. I'm going back to the blacklist it reminds me of this case because i mean he didn't kill his family by all means, but he was like America's most wanted criminal. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, all the things. All the maybe, things. maybe they took a little inspiration from this. Case. I don't That's think a so. terrible word for that. I don't like that. I don't. I don't. That made me so. feel icky. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, follow our junk, y'all. Yeah, follow, subscribe. Um, you can you can catch us at uh, serialholicsisters.com. All of our stuff's on there. Yeah, all of our links, all of our social media, all that fun stuff. If you haven't followed our Insta, come follow. We'll post some pictures of the case. We will post some pictures. Not the terrible pictures that I saw, but I will post yeah, some let's pictures. Not do those. <laughs> no, that's not okay. Let's I wouldn't not I wouldn't put you I would not put you guys through that. That was terrible. Let's not get banned from the Instagram. <laughs> right. <laughs> so yeah. Follow our stuff. Send us oh. listener tales. You got any yes. true crime or paranormal or any kind of listener tales? Send it to us so we can read them. 
on an episode. (laughs) I'm so, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to hearing some. So send them. (laughs) Send it. Send it. Okay. I guess that's it. Let's be awkward. Be awkward. Okay. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. (laughs)